Christmas Foundation for Adoption works around the clock to find them the permanent loving homes they deserve. You can help. Learn more at DaveThomasFoundation.org. We all know Goodwill, but did you know when you donate stuff to Goodwill, you help provide job training for people right here in your community? Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. By your home, you became a house-hunting ace. Learned about loans. Scoured. Com slash free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free. ZipRecruiter.com slash free. Wichita's new sports leader, ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM, KKGQ, Newton. From Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM. This is the Shane Dennis Show. On the new ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM. Welcome in to another edition of the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM. Wichita's sports leader. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, filling in for Shane for just today. Not to worry, he will be back tomorrow with plenty to talk about after his trip to Utah. Covering Wichita State Baseball. As always... The text line is open at 316-247-0923. That is 316-247-0923. Anything you want to talk about, we will surely be able to cover that at some point in the show. Because for today, we'll have a lot to get into talking some college basketball. We will be talking some college basketball outlook in the NCAA tournament. We'll have Jordan Foote. Joining us at 1 p.m., we'll have some Royals audio for you down from Surprise, Arizona. And as always, even though Shane is gone, we will wrap it up with some fact or, or not fact or fiction, excuse me, I'm Old Jack Young. That's on my show up in Kansas City, but we will still do I'm Old Jack Young with Pat at the conclusion of our show today. Last night, the Kansas Jayhawks got their nation-leading 14th quad one win after a 63-59 win over the TCU Horn Frogs on the road. The third-ranked Jayhawks really, I would say, had their toughest rock fight of the season. We've tossed around that saying a lot, but last night was a true rock fight in this game because TCU didn't shoot the ball well, Kansas didn't shoot the ball well, it was very physical, a lot of fouls in the game. TCU got to the free throw line a lot. They didn't cash in as well. But when it was all said and done, or excuse me, I did get the the score wrong. It was 63-58, not 63-59. But Kansas, for the majority of the second half, had their spurts. They had their spurts where it felt like they could get some serious separation, got to about a six- or a seven-point lead. But TCU always seemed to have a response. But what was the difference when it was all said and done is that on the defensive side of things, Kansas locked down TCU. Mike Miles last night had one of his worst shooting performances of the season. 4 of 14, he was 2 of 4 from deep, only 13 points. Remember Eddie Lampkin and how tough he's been for Kansas in the last three matchups twice last year? 
And then the first matchup in Lawrence, and I know he's still banged up, but Eddie Lampkin only had one bucket on three attempts from the floor. Eight boards. You also held Damian Baugh to four of 16 from the field. Some would tell you Dewan Harris and Kevin McCuller are really good defenders. Now, as for the Jayhawks, once again, we have seen this team come through when Jalen Wilson doesn't play very well. Now, Jalen Wilson was fantastic on the boards. He gives you 13 boards, three assists, only turned it over three times. But he was 3 of 11 from the floor. So where are you going to get your production from? Well, it was from Grady Dick, and it was from Kevin McCuller. And I would say the star in that game was Kevin McCuller. Wasn't very pretty shooting the ball, shot under 50%. But still, he was great on the defensive end and had the biggest defensive play of the game, forcing a jump ball in the final 30 seconds. But Grady Dick, he goes 7 of 18, 3 of 10 from deep. And and I've seen some criticism of Grady Dick, you know, not always shooting the highest percentage from deep. He probably will be the all-time leader in three-point makes by a freshman after the season. I believe he's about 12 or 13 behind. I want to say it's Jeff Boshi. But Grady Dick is always going to be the guy that gets his shots up from deep. I have no issue whatsoever with Grady Dick shooting 10 three-pointers. If he goes 3 of 10, 4 of 11, 5 of 12, that's his game. And last night he was the leading scorer for Kansas with 19. Also had six boards and two assists. Dewan Harris gives you six points and eight assists. K.J. Adams... Didn't have the cleanest of games. Struggled with fouls. He had about four in the early parts, or I would say the the midway point of the second half. And he was two of eight from the floor, and he's usually shooting a very high percentage because he's taking all of his shots from inside of five feet. But Kansas last night did what Vegas didn't expect them to, and that was get out of Fort Worth with a win. Now, when we previewed this show, and we talked about it yesterday, We talked about the odds, right, that in Bill Self's tenure at Kansas, he's only been swept twice. Those two coaches were Mike Boyden and Shaka Smart. Mike Boyden in Oklahoma State did it back in 2018, and Shaka Smart did it with Texas back in the COVID year when there was barely any fans allowed inside of arenas. So other than that, Nobody's had another chance at sweeping Kansas. And TCU maybe had the best chance of anybody in that stretch since Bill Self's been at Kansas. I mean, you beat the Jayhawks by 23 in Allen Fieldhouse, and then you welcome them back to Fort Worth. You're healthier. You have Mike Miles back, and Kansas will be one of the few teams in conference play this year to play TCU healthy twice. But you play them in front of a hostile, rocking environment, and you feel like, man, after a 175 win over Oklahoma State on Saturday, it's a buzzsaw game for Kansas. But Kansas is starting to show, ever since that lackluster performance against Iowa State, there's really nobody that can stop them right now. They can beat you by 80, 85, or score 80, 85, not beat you by 85, but hang 80, 85 in the game, beat you by... 15 to 17, or 
they can get in a rock fight with you. 63 to 58 over TCU last night. And maybe that's why Kansas is going to be favored to win this conference outright. Now you go back home and play West Virginia and Texas Tech, two of the bottom teams in the conference. And Texas, the team that's chasing you only a half game back, and you're up 1-0 on the season series, they have to go on the road to Waco, on the road to Fort Worth. They play Iowa State and Kansas at home. Texas's final four games are the toughest of anybody in the conference. Kansas, I would say, has the easiest finish to the season now. You get two games at home, then you face Texas and Austin on March 4th. But I would say the reason as to why Kansas is going to be favored to win this conference outright, they can beat you in a variety of ways. There are some teams in the Big 12, as good as this conference is, that when they get into low-scoring games or when it's a shootout, they can't beat you. It's not how they prefer to play the game. For example, I think early on, Texas wanted to beat teams in shootouts. They had a very good offensive output. Now, they lost to Kansas State in their home opener. I think it was 116 to to 104, 108, something like that. But Texas could outscore a lot of teams. And when they got 80, 85, 90 points, they were going to beat the majority of the teams they faced. But you saw when they struggled offensively against Iowa State. You know, when they struggled to put up points inside the paint, using their size, using their length, they didn't win a lot of those rock fights. You know, TCU was another team that when they were healthy, you felt like, okay, they get over the 80-point threshold, they're going to win, or get near 80 points. And and maybe that's simple to say. When your offense scores a lot, you're going to win a lot of games. That is true. But I think Kansas is one of the few teams that when a team holds them under 70, You know, they get in those 60, 63, 65 to 62 type games. They're still going to win. I mean, that's maybe the difference when it's all said and done. Go back over a conference play since January 31st. So basically this month of February. Here's the games that Kansas has won. They beat Kansas State 90 to 78. I would say somewhat of a shootout. I mean, Kansas State nearly got 80 points. So you know what? We'll call it a shootout. Then when they beat Texas, another shootout, 88 to 80. They blow out Oklahoma, 78-55. They handle Oklahoma State in a shootout, 87-76. They hang 87 on Baylor. And then last night, they only score 63, but hold TCU under 60. Go back to their game against Iowa State on January 14th. They win 62-60. to Go back to their game on New Year's Eve against Oklahoma State, 69-67. to I mean, they can win those games when you're not scoring at a high rate and they can lock you down defensively. That, to me, feels like what's going to be the difference. And you go back, too, to some of those games on the road that they don't stand out on paper. You go to Lubbock, right? And Texas Tech has not been very good this year. Or you go on the road to West Virginia. You go on the road to Morgantown. And those were under-the-radar type of wins. You beat West Virginia by 14 in Morgantown. You beat Texas Tech by a few in Lubbock. It was your first game on the road in conference play. Now, you still had your slip-ups on the road. You lose to Iowa State by 15. You lose to Kansas State in overtime. You lose to Baylor by 6 on the road. I don't even say those are mishaps. Those are just losses in the Big 12. Those are losses on the road. But to me, I think we predicted this, 
that Kansas was going to hit their stride in February. That That's always going to happen. But I recall back to December and January, I said this team was further along at that point in the season than last year's national title squad. You know, the non-conference, Kansas was dominating teams. No, it hammered Missouri, hammered Indiana. Their only bad game was against Tennessee, who at the time was ranked in the top ten. But then they went through their bad stretch when they lost three in a row. And I think we contemplated, you know, this team's going through a rut now, but really what is the ceiling for this team? And during that stretch, that three-game losing streak, it was when the offense solely relied on a guy like Jalen Wilson to provide the offensive output. And everybody else stood around and watched. And in those games, starting with Kansas State, you know, you have Jalen Wilson giving you 38. Now, K.J. Adams and Grady Dick still gave a combined 33 points, but you got nothing from Kevin McCuller, you got nothing from Dewan Harris, and the bench play wasn't very good either. In the 83-60 loss to TCU, it was Jalen Wilson giving you 30, next highest scorer, Kevin McCuller, with 10. And then you go to the game against Baylor when they lose by 6 on the road. Grady Dick gave you 24, Jalen Wilson gave you 23, McCuller gave you 14, nothing from anybody else. It was the lack of consistency, the lack of balance, from the starting five, and when we saw that, this team struggled. Against Iowa State, Jalen Wilson gave Kansas 26. Next highest score was Joseph Yesfu with eight. But in their recent stretch, since that loss on February 4th, against Texas, when they won 88-80, to you got 21 from Grady Dick, 17 from Dewan Harris, 16 from Kevin McCuller, 10 from K.J. Adams, 14 from Joseph Yesfu. Jalen Wilson had two points in that game. Against Oklahoma and Norman, when you won by 23, you got 18 from Jalen Wilson, 16 from Dewan Harris, 13 from Kevin McCuller, 10 from K.J. Adams, 8 from Ernest Uday, 8 from Grady Dick. So a very balanced approach. Against Oklahoma State and Stillwater, which was last Tuesday, 26 from Grady Dick, 15 from McCuller, 15 from K.J. Adams, 14 from Jalen Wilson, 8 from Yesifu, 5 from Dewan Harris. You win by 11 points, not really sweating it out down the stretch. Against Baylor, when you overcame a 17-point deficit in the first half and won by 17. 21 from Wilson, 17 from Adams, 16 from Grady Dick, 14 from Dewan Harris, 9 from Kevin McCuller, 10 bench points. You're starting to see a pattern here, and even you go to last night where you only scored 63 points in the game. It wasn't the most balanced approach, but at least you had two guys not named Jalen Wilson step up offensively. Grady Dick gives you 19, McCuller 15, Wilson gave you 7, Dewan Harrison, K.J. Adams combined for 12 points, and off the bench, Ernest Uday, Bobby Pettiford, and M.J. Rice combined for 10 points. When you hit that rhythm and you hit your groove at this point in the season, it makes you inherently dangerous. And this Kansas team right now, I think everybody else in the Big 12 is waiting for that slip-up. But here's the thing. Kansas's slip-up already happened, the three-game losing streak. And we've said this time and time and again on the show that everybody was going to go through that rut. Everybody was going to go through that struggle where they had a two-game slide, a three-game slide, maybe a four- or five-game slide. Even the best teams in the conference. Baylor lost three in a row. Texas kind of went through a little bit of a rut. When you thought they had a stranglehold in the conference, they slip up against some of the lesser teams in the conference. And Kansas maybe had their bad stretch at the perfect time. Not early on, where you dig yourself a hole like Baylor did. It was kind of early on, but a little bit toward the middle, where you built up a cushion early on in conference play, then you lost a little bit of that cushion, but since that point, you've only lost one game. 
and it was to Iowa State at Hilton Coliseum, where they've only lost one time this year. There really hasn't been a bad loss for this Kansas team on the schedule. I mean, you go back to their first loss against Tennessee. If I'm not mistaken, every single loss at that point in the season came against a ranked team. Tennessee at the time was ranked 22nd. Kansas State was ranked 13th. TCU was ranked 14th. Baylor was ranked 17th. And Iowa State was ranked 13th. So you played all of those teams. Didn't play your best game. But on paper, for your resume, those are not bad losses. Kansas last year, the national title winning team, had some bad losses. Now, I'm not saying that Kansas was an underdog in all those games. They were favored in the majority of those games. But still, on paper, those are not bad losses. And now you sit here with just three games to go in the regular season, and they have 14 quad one wins. They're third in the country. Who knows if they leapfrog a team like Houston or Alabama before the end of the regular season. But I think the goal now, after last night, of course it's to win the Big 12 outright, get that number one seed in Kansas City. But maybe the bigger thing at hand, what's more at stake here, is that number one overall seed. And it's very, very important that Kansas grabs that number one overall seed for their hopes of repeating as national champions, because Houston right now is ahead of them. Houston is the number one team in the country. They leapfrogged Alabama after the Crimson Tide lost to Tennessee. But Houston, according to Joe Lunardi's recent bracketology, is the number one seed in the Midwest, which puts them in Kansas City for the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Right now... And Joe Lunardi's bracketology, Kansas is the number one seed in the West. The debate is going to be, whenever the season concludes, I mean, we know when it's going to include after the conference tournaments, but if Kansas finds a way to beat West Virginia and Texas Tech and then beats Texas and Austin, they, of course, will win the conference by two games, likely, assuming Texas falls to Baylor, they fall to TCU on the road. Let's say Kansas wins out, they would have 15 quad one wins. Maybe even 16 now that I think about it. But far more than anybody else. For example, North Carolina, who is preseason number one, is 0-9 this year against quad one teams. They have had the toughest schedule, the best resume, the best number of quad one wins. And now when you look at this team and say, all right, they are deserving of the number one overall seed, it comes down to what the committee thinks. Will they penalize Houston for not losing another game, but they do play in the American? Houston, I believe, only has four quad one wins. You take Alabama and you take Houston, they have three less quad one wins than Kansas. So for the bracketology, I think Kansas understands, you know, they're not going to complain with a one seed. That's the thing here. They're not going to complain being a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, especially coming off a year in which you lost four of your five or three of your five starters, two of which were first-round draft picks. But for it to go as smoothly as possible, man, do you want that number one overall seed in the Midwest? And that by far and away, I think, is the goal. But I think the only way you get that is, is if you win the conference outright by two games, and that would probably require winning out. 
You lose to Texas and Austin. I guess it depends what happens to the Longhorns in those games against Baylor, Iowa State, and TCU. So even if you lose to Texas, you could still win the conference by a game. Win it outright. And then I think as long as you don't lose in the opening round of the Big 12 tournament, you could get that number one seed in the Midwest. But maybe you do have to get to the championship game. I'm not really sure what's going on inside the minds of the committee, but it's a difference between playing right in your own backyard at the T-Mobile Center, if you make it to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, or playing in the West where Joe Lunardi has Kansas right now and playing in Las Vegas. That is a big, big time difference. And for Kansas, I think you want to avenge what happened the last time you were in Kansas City having the Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Josh Jackson, Landon Lucas team, Sfema Kyluk team, lose to Oregon in the Elite Eight with a chance to go back to the Final Four. You want to avenge that loss to have the home crowd 90% on your side. And what have we always talked about with the NCAA tournament? You need luck. Part of that luck is where you play, where you end up. First-round matchups, second-round matchups. And for this Kansas team, you are going to need a little extra help. It's a damn good team. I'm not trying to take anything away of what they've done this year. You have 22-23 wins. You are atop the Big 12 by far and away the toughest conference in college basketball. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to need just a little extra boost. And that extra boost is going to be getting in the Midwest region as the number one overall seed instead of the Houston Cougars. We are going to continue this talk of college basketball when we come back. A little bit more into that Joe Luinardi bracketology. About three or four hours ago, he put out a full 68-team bracket. Where some of these teams are stacking up, of course, we already talked about Kansas being in the West region. But where do all these other teams stack up? Where do all the one seeds stack up? Who would they be playing potentially in the second round? Who is playing in the first four games in Dayton, Ohio? Who are some of the sneaky five and six seeds? Who is maybe has the best chance of having an upset as a 14, 15, or 16 seed? We are going to get into all of that next on the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. You're listening to the Shane Dennis Show. On ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM. Time to leave it all on the mat. For the fourth year in a row, the 66th annual NAIA Wrestling National Championship is coming to Wichita March 3rd and March 4th at Hartman Arena. 280 of the best collegiate wrestlers in the country will square off for a team and individual national championships. The format this year will feature an individual national championships in 10 weight classes, a team championship based on individual finishes, and a double elimination format with the top eight wrestlers in each class earning NAIA All-American honors. This event is open to the public, and the championship session will be broadcasted live on ESPN3. All session tickets are now on sale, and single session tickets will be available the day of the event. All session tickets are $42 to $53 in single session from $15 to $19. For more information, visit www.visitwichita.com. Don't miss it. What do people with blindness or low vision need to live to the fullest? Just ask them. It's skill development, scientific breakthroughs, knowledge-based jobs, 
and the same opportunities as everyone else. When you give to Envision, whether it be your time, donations, or your engagement, you make it all possible. That's because at Envision, they don't focus on the disability. They value the ability. They choose not to envision a world without sight, but to envision a world where people who are blind or visually impaired are empowered to reach their full potential. Learn more at EnvisionUS.com. What does it feel like to be in Kansas City, the soccer capital of America? To hear thousands shouting as one. To see waves of sporting blue. To hug total strangers. To be a part of something bigger than any of us. What does it feel like to be at Children's Mercy Park? It feels like home. It's showtime in Kansas City. Sporting opens the season at home on March 11th versus the L.A. Galaxy. Grab your tickets now at SportingKC.com. I tend to second-guess dinners with friends because they're often interrupted by diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, or oily stools. It turns out I have EPI, or exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, which means I'm missing the enzymes needed to digest food. My doctor prescribed Creon Pancrelipase, an oral prescription medication that replaces pancreatic digestive enzymes. Creon treats EPI due to cystic fibrosis, chronic pancreatitis, pancreatectomy, or other conditions. Creon may increase your chance of fibrosing colonopathy, a rare bowel disorder. Tell your doctor if you have a history of intestinal blockage or scarring or thickening of your bowel wall. If you're allergic to pork or if you have gout, kidney problems, or worsening of painful swollen joints, call your doctor if you have any unusual or severe gastrointestinal symptoms or allergic reactions. Take Creon as directed by your doctor and always with food. Do not chew capsules as this may cause mouth irritation. Other side effects may include blood sugar changes, gas, dizziness, sore throat, and cough. These are not all the side effects of Creon. Creon is the number one prescribed EPI treatment. Ask your doctor about Creon for EPI and visit Creon.com or call 800-633-9110 to learn more. That's C-R-E-O-N.com. Sponsored by Ab. Did you know that carbon monoxide is odorless and invisible? And the only way to detect it is by installing carbon monoxide or CO alarms. First Alert is reminding you to install CO alarms on every level and in every bedroom of your home. Also, remember, alarms don't last forever and need to be replaced at least every 5 to 10 years depending on your alarm. Protect your home and family with safety you can trust by visiting FirstAlert.com and Lowe's stores for your carbon monoxide alarms. Wichita's home for Chiefs coverage. ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM. I, I told y'all before the season, we got, we got Coach Andy Reid. We got guys like Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, Frank Clark. We're going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Coach Reid, there's some reports out there that you might retire. I, mean, I think I'm going to hang around. Uh, I'm not going to say Dynasty yet. We're not done. So I'm not going to say Dynasty yet. When you want the latest on your favorite teams, tune into Wichita's new sports leader, ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM. Call now, Hot Springs. To the dance floor. Tonight, let love start. Let love start. Welcome back into the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM, Wichita Sports Leader. I am your host, Jack Johnson, just filling in for Shane today, not to worry. He will be back from Utah tomorrow hosting the show as he's out there covering Wichita State Baseball. As always, our phone line is open, or excuse me, our text line is open on our phone line. I can't multitask that well here when hosting the show by myself, but the text line, of course, is is always open at 316-247-0923. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know if you have any questions. 
Saw a couple of texts during our first segment that, yeah, last night in the broadcast, it was mentioned that the three other one seeds have combined for 20 quad one wins. And if you think about it, maybe by the end of the regular season when counting the game against Texas, uh, a couple of the games in the conference tournament, if Kansas continues to win, they may rack up around 17 or 18 quad one wins. So certainly something to watch here as we reach the tail end of the college basketball season. We teased it a little bit in the opening parts of the show, actually the very tail end of our segment, with Joe Luinardi's most recent NCAA March Madness Tournament projection, the full 68-team bracket, and that was posted on ESPN about two hours ago. So we're going to quickly overview that, see where some of the local teams are, Kansas, Kansas State, and Missouri. But let's start it off with teams that are on the bubble. Right now, the last four buys are Memphis, Penny Hardaway's squad, Boise State, Mike Boyden's Oklahoma State Cowboys, and Bob Huggins' West Virginia Mountaineers. So two Big 12 teams getting in with the last four buys. The last four in would be Nevada, Mississippi State, USC, and Wisconsin. Now here's where things get interesting. Some teams on the opposite side of the bubble. The first four out. How about this? The North Carolina Tar Heels are a first four out team. Now they would be, if this stands, the first preseason number one to miss the NCAA tournament the following year. Right now, Luinardi does not have him have them in the 68-team bracket. Charleston also in the first four out, followed by New Mexico and Utah State. As for the next four out, two Pac-12 schools in Oregon and Arizona State, Texas Tech, one of the teams who I think two weeks ago weren't even considered to be on the radar of the NCAA tournament. They at least have a fighting chance on the bubble, and they are also followed by Penn State. So here is how the first four, not the first four, the the play-in games would look in Dayton. As for the 16 seeds, the battle of 16 seeds would be between between Alcorn State and Farley Dickinson. The 11-seed matchups would be Nevada and Mississippi State and USC and Wisconsin. And the other 16-seed play-in games that Luinardi has is Howard and Moorhead State. I know some of those games may matter some to you. I'm sure those will be, I would say actually more than anything, the play-in games, the, the predictions for them are usually right. That, to me, feels pretty accurate. And I think I want to say USC is almost always in those playing games for some odd reason. But USC right now playing Wisconsin in the projected playing games in Dayton, Ohio, before the true NCAA tournament. As for the South region, that would be in Louisville. The number one seed would be the Alabama Crimson Tide, playing the winner, of course, of Alcorn State and Farley Dickinson. The 8-9 matchup would be NC State and Memphis. The 5-12 being Creighton, Kent State, Indiana as the 4-13 seed Yale playing them. As for the 6th seed in the South region, Luinardi has TCU playing the winner of that play-in game between Nevada and Mississippi State. The 3 seed in the South region being Virginia. They would take on 14-seeded Colgate. A 7-seeded Illinois would take on 10-seeded Florida Atlantic, who's been in the top 25 this year. And the two-seed in the South region, with number one seed Alabama being tops in Louisville, would be UCLA taking on Kennesaw State. 
I am curious to see, uh, of all those teams I just listed in the South region, if you're just tuning in, no, there's not been the official release of the NCAA tournament. It's just the projection, the most recent projection by Joe Lunardi and the committee. I think a really, really tough matchup, maybe just a little bit of recency bias, would be TCU as the sixth seed. Uh, when they are healthy with Mike Miles and Eddie Lampkin, John Rothstein pointed this out on Twitter yesterday. He said, that may be the best team in the Big 12. Now, I think Kansas silenced that last night, but TCU, I believe, is a top three team in the Big 12 when they are truly healthy. And at that point, who knows? Maybe TCU would be healthy in an incredibly dangerous six or seven type seed, seeded type of team. As for the East region, which would be New York, Purdue, the number one overall seed, they would get the winner of Howard or Moorhead State. The 8-9 matchup, how about this? The Kentucky Wildcats and the Pitt Panthers. That would probably be a nightmare matchup for Purdue. I'm not overall impressed with Kentucky this year, but they've had their big wins. They swept Tennessee, and with their backs against the wall, they've come through. And now we're... I would say two weeks ago, they were on the outside looking in. Now they could be a team that could make maybe a little bit of a dangerous run to the Sweet 16, maybe even the Elite. I don't want to go that far, especially with what happened last year, losing in the first round to St. Peter's. But I'm not very high on Purdue. And if they got a team like Kentucky, Oscar Sheboig and Zach Eady, maybe I would lean with Kentucky there. As for the five matchup in New York, it'd be UConn against 12-seeded West Virginia, four-seeded Gonzaga against 13-seeded Iona, a six-seeded Duke team going up against 11-seeded Oklahoma State team. The three-seed projection for the East region would be Tennessee taking on 14-seeded Hofstra. As for the seven-seeded, it would be Providence against 10-seeded Auburn. And two-seed Baylor against 15-seeded Vermont. Maybe of this projection, the team that stands out the most to me, I'd say a three-seed Tennessee, maybe a two-seeded Baylor. I really do think... A team like West Virginia could be a, a tough out in the second round. You know, one of those 12 seeds that could get the best of a team like UConn and then maybe beating a team like Gonzaga. We always know that Gonzaga underperforms in the NCAA tournament. You maybe are seeing a pattern here. I'm picking a lot of Big 12 teams to upset people early on in the NCAA tournament, but I like Tennessee still. If Tennessee can get teams into half-court games, use their size, they're going to be a very, very tough out. But as for Purdue being the one seed in the East, Hey, I know they had a great start to the season at one point. I want to say 20 and 1, 21 and 1, but they've been bad of late. Teams are starting to figure out how they can defend a guy like Zach Eady. I mean, when he's 7-4, there's not much you can do when he gets five feet from the goal. But we've seen teams double him. Northwestern did a great job when they pull off their upset. I want to say last week or the week before that. You double him, make him to pass it out. He's not the greatest of passers. But yeah, when he gets too low in the post, He's going to be a nightmare matchup for anybody. There's nobody that can stop him one-on-one. But doubling him, forcing him to make the mistakes, Purdue could be one of those early team or early exits in the first or the second round this year. Now for the Midwest region. And if you're a Kansas fan, this means a hell of a lot more to anybody else locally here. Missouri, Kansas State, Kansas. Kansas absolutely needs that number one seed in the Midwest region. But right now, per Joe Luinardi, he has the Houston Cougars as the number one seed, the number one overall seed, getting that spot in the Midwest region. They would take on 16-seeded Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, the 8-9 matchup. 
being Texas A&M, who's been a very surprised team in the SEC this year. They would take on nine-seeded Rutgers. The five-seed would be Miami, taking on 12-seeded Drake. Four-seeded Marquette and Shaka Smart, taking on 13-seeded Southern Miss. The sixth seed in that region playing in Des Moines would be San Diego State and taking on the winner of the play-in game between USC and Wisconsin. And how about this, Kansas State as the three-seed playing in Des Moines against UC Irvine. If I'm not mistaken, the Barry Brown-Dean Wade team, uh, the Cartier-Jara team, I think UC Irvine, the last time Kansas State was a top-five seed, got them in the first round. So I'm sure Kansas State fans would not want to see uh, UC Irvine again, no matter if they are a three seed or not. The seven seed playing in Denver in the Midwest region will be Michigan State going up against the ten seeded Missouri Tigers. So the Tigers getting that ten seed, assuming they can handle business down the back half of their SEC schedule, and that would maybe set up a former Big Twelve matchup, two seed Texas against 15-seeded Youngstown State. So that right now is the projected Midwest region, Houston being the number one overall seed and not the Kansas Jayhawks. Now for the West region, which would be played the Sweet 16 Elite Eight rounds in Las Vegas, Kansas, the number one seed, they would be in Des Moines, so they would see Kansas State fans in Des Moines along with, it appears, who else would be in Des Moines? Here would be San Diego State, maybe USC or Wisconsin, Kansas State. And then I want to say one other set of teams would be there. Maybe not. But as for Kansas, their first round would likely be in Des Moines. I think either way uh, they would be in Des Moines and then maybe Kansas City. So Kansas against UNC Asheville, the one sixteen matchup in the West region. This 8-9 matchup would be brutal. So if you're a Kansas fan, you're hoping this projection doesn't come true. Iowa and Arkansas, 8-9 matchup. Arkansas just got back Nick Smith who was the number one overall point guard recruit. They had the most loaded draft class of anybody preseason, lottery picks. I mean, they've got a couple of five stars in, in Anthony Black. You have Jordan Walsh, and then you have Nick Smith. If Arkansas is healthy and they're an 8-9 matchup, I don't care who the one seed is. That is probably one of the toughest matchups of the tournament, if not the toughest matchup of the first two weekends. So it would be Kansas and Arkansas, I'd imagine if that projection does hold true, and that would make me incredibly nervous. I would be very, very nervous with a Kansas-Arkansas matchup in the second round. As for the five-seed matchup in the West region, it would be St. Mary's against 12-seeded VCU, the four-seed being Xavier, 13-seed Utah Valley, six-seeded Northwestern, who upended number one Purdue a few weeks back. They would be the six taking on 11-seeded Oral Roberts. A Big 12 team grabs the third seed in the West region, being Iowa State against 14 seed in Eastern Washington. The seventh seed being Maryland, 10 seeded Boise State. That matchup would be in Sacramento. And the two seed in the West region would be Arizona against 15 seeded Sanford. So if that doesn't disappoint you as a Kansas fan, and you're hoping now Kansas finds a way to just somehow get in the Midwest region, because think about it this way. If this holds true, and it's not going to have every single team exactly right here, but let's say Kansas has the one seed in the West, and Arizona's the two. Well, Kansas already has to deal with a tough second-round matchup with either Iowa or Arkansas. And if they get to Las Vegas in the West region, and maybe would meet a team like Arizona, think about the region matchup there. Arizona gets to play in Vegas, 
Whereas Kansas has to make the long-distance travel to Vegas, and you would be outnumbered likely in the fan base there. So the West region looks like a hellish nightmare if you're Kansas, but you want to feel like this would be one of those matchups where you can just have all your teams in the Midwest. You can go from Des Moines to Kansas City and not from Des Moines to Las Vegas. Now, it's all about luck here. You can hope and pray you get to Kansas City or Vegas. you got to take care of take care of those first two matchups. But, man, that would be a gauntlet of a region if Kansas did not get in the Midwest. So that right now is the full 68-team bracket breakdown per Joe Lunardi. That's going to shake out a lot differently here in about three weeks, three or four weeks. How very short of that? I would say two weeks at that. We haven't even gotten to the conference tournament. We don't know who all the conference champions are just yet. I would say after last night, Kansas might have the inside edge with the Midwest region because of their quad one wins. It also comes down to, though, will the committee penalize a team like Houston, who's not going to lose for the rest of the regular season? They're playing in the American. They have very few quad one wins. But we've seen this with Gonzaga many a times, that when they just continue to win, you're not going to drop them down from the number one overall seat. But maybe their resume, speaking of Kansas, is too impressive to ignore and keep them out of that top spot. But first things first, you got to keep winning. You likely have to win your final three games, win the conference outright by a couple of games, give you some buffer room, go into Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. I think my takeaway would be on it is when you're a top four seed, it matters region-wise. If you're a 8-9, to 10 seed, you're just hoping for the best matchup. You're hoping for favorable matchups. Right now, Missouri is a 10 seed, and they'd be getting 7 seeded Michigan State. Kind of depends on how good you are at home, how good you are on the road. Kansas State of late has not been a very good road team, so maybe being in Des Moines helps that a little bit. But, of course, if they were in the West region traveling to Las Vegas or if they were in the Midwest region getting a better draw than Kansas, they had to go from Des Moines to Kansas City. But we'll see how all that shakes down in Selection Sunday here in a couple of weeks. You know, I I think overall when you look at that that bracket, when you look at what Joe Luinardi likes to – you know, put in there with certain types of matchups. And, and I think this year more than the rest when looking at college basketball. Maybe I'm just not remembering as well. This has been a year where there's been a lot of teams that started the year preseason top 10, and then they've just fallen off. Maybe have been unranked, maybe ranked top 20, maybe 20 to 25 range. But that can be such a difficult scenario for true number one seeds right now when you think about Houston, Kansas, Alabama, and Purdue. I mean, you look at Purdue's region, I don't think Purdue's very good. I mean, I'll say they're good. They're a little bit overrated to me. They do have the National Player of the Year, in my opinion, in Zach Eady, but to get a team like Kentucky or Pitt in the second round, Kentucky was preseason top five, and now they're getting a little bit hot down the stretch of the season. You look at Kansas. If they're the one seed in the West and getting a team like Arkansas as a nine, Arkansas was preseason top 10. So that's where it can kind of screw you over. And while we talk about luck in the NCAA tournament, you really just need some upsets to happen. You need to hope you get a more favorable region, a softer region. But right now, if you're a Kansas fan, that West region, that is a brutal, brutal looking bracket. You really want to go for that Midwest spot. But like we said earlier, I think the only way you get that top spot is if you are 
you know, winning out, winning out the rest of the regular season. Now we go to the text line here. I I think that's how you pronounce Joe Luinardi, right? <laughs> I think it's Luinardi. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, that's how I pronounce it. That's how I've always pronounced it. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, who really knows? But at least you know who I'm talking about. But of course, text line always open three one six two four seven zero nine two three. Let us know any of your thoughts on his recent bracketology: Kansas being a one seed in the West Region, Kansas State a three seed in the Midwest region, both those teams playing in Des Moines. If you are a Missouri fan, they are a 10 seed playing Michigan State, a 7 seed in Denver. That's about as much college basketball as we can talk for the opening parts of the show. But when we come back here, we're going to dive into some NFL news. Now, yesterday on the Pulse with Pat Strothman, we touched a little bit on Eric Bieniemy going to the Washington Commanders. Now, we gave our thoughts, but one guy that's not looking at it very positively is one of his former players in Kansas City, and that would be LaShawn McCoy. Now, he may be in the minority, but I do think it's important to hear what he had to say about Eric Bieniemy and why he thinks it's not going to work out in Washington. That's next on The Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. You're listening to The Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita. What do people with blindness or low vision need to live to the fullest? Just ask them. It's skill development, scientific breakthroughs, knowledge-based jobs, and the same opportunities as everyone else. When you give to Envision, whether it be your time, donations, or your engagement, you make it all possible. That's because at Envision, they don't focus on the disability. They value the ability. They choose not to envision a world without sight, but to envision a world where people who are blind or visually impaired are empowered to reach their full potential. Learn more at EnvisionUS.com. Every day, more sports fans are finding Wichita's new sports leader, ESPN Wichita 92.3. You can listen to the latest local sports right here. And now you can share your thoughts with us 24-7. Just text 316-247-0923. Want to share your thoughts with the Shane Dennis Show or the Pulse with me, Pat Strothman? Put the new text line in your phone right now, 316-247-0923. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Refinancing your mortgage is fast and easy when you choose American Financing. Hey guys, it's Peyton Manning. With just a 10-minute call, you can pre-qualify to lower your rate, consolidate high-interest debt, and even access cash. There are no upfront fees to pay, and you could postpone up to two months of mortgage payments. Call 800-700-1687 or apply online at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS 182334, NMLS When people have a craving to explore new and traditional Asian cuisines, they head to P.F. Chang's, where scratch-made dishes come from the 2,000-year-old tradition of wok cooking. P.F. Chang's wanted to explore new possibilities for their website. They turned to AmericanEagle.com. AmericanEagle.com re-architected P.F. Chang's website, integrating multiple third-party systems to create a unified digital experience. The results? Improved page speed and performance, personalized content based on users' location, intuitive online ordering, and increase in organic 
organic search visibility and a 40% increase in new users. For scratch-made Asian cuisine, visit your local P.F. Chang's or go to pfchangs.com for website design, development, digital marketing, and hosting that produce efficiency, revenue, and results. Visit AmericanEagle.com. P.F. Chang's and AmericanEagle.com, another example of the best businesses in the world. Turning to the best in the business for websites, go to AmericanEagle.com or call 877-WEBNOW1. That's 877-WEBNOW1. Welcome back into the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM. Wichita sports leader, I am your host, Jack Johnson, filling in for Shane today as he's out in Utah covering Wichita State baseball. But not to worry, Shane will be back in the saddle tomorrow, uh, probably recapping a lot of what happened out there. Give us a review on his trip. Of course, a lot of the guys have been bouncing around, Pat. Uh, would have been, I guess, two weeks ago. Now was down at Radio Road doing a great job getting some fantastic interviews. And now it's Shane out on the road covering Wichita State baseball. We'll have plenty of baseball to get into tomorrow. Of course, we'll be talking some college basketball as well. And still maybe a little bit of NFL leftovers. Because there was a big-time story, at least this morning, going around in Kansas City, at least up here in Kansas City, about a former player for the Kansas City Chiefs, and why he doesn't think that Eric Bieniemy is going to work out in Washington. LaShawn McCoy was very vocal after his time in Kansas City that he was not too fond of Eric Bieniemy. didn't get along with him very well, but it appears that those feelings have never really gone away. In the aftermath of being with Kansas City, maybe, maybe being a healthy scratch in the Super Bowl, Rubbing him the wrong way. But it's clear that LaShawn McCoy and Eric Bieniemy didn't get along in practice. Maybe didn't get along during games. But he was on TV yesterday, and he had some choice words and reasons as to why Eric Bieniemy is not going to shine in Washington. And maybe some of you will agree with LaShawn McCoy. Maybe some of you will think he's completely wrong. Without further ado... Here is what Shady McCoy had to say about Eric Bieniemy and his new job as offensive coordinator with the Washington Commanders. With the Commanders. I hope he doesn't, but I think he will. What's his value? What makes him a good offensive coordinator? See, the problem is a lot of these people that go on social media, oh, he should be the guy for the job. They haven't played there. They're not in the locker room. I've been in the rooms where he's coaching, and he has nothing to do with the pass game at all. Right? When the plays are, are designed, that's Andy Reid. When you talk about officer coordinators, I can tell you what makes Brian Dayball with the Giants a very, very good coordinator. I can tell you what Andy Reid or Doug Peterson. But when I ask about um, Eric Bieniemy, what makes him good? When we watch the film of practices and we correct the, the, the wide receivers, the running backs, the, the quarterbacks, he doesn't talk in there. Andy Reid talks in there. Mm. He may say things to the running back because he's an ex-running back coach. I get that. But he has no real responsibility. Now you go from the Chiefs, where you can hide behind Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. Then you, then you go to the, the Washington, where you got to call plays. You got to run the meetings. You got to run the installs. And last issue I have with him is 
What makes Andy Reid so great, not the call, the, the play calls, which we see that, which, I mean, that's one of it. But the other thing is, like, adapting to the players. Well, being in me, he's my first practice. I couldn't believe it. He's dog coaching. He's dog cussing the players. I'm like, and not just the regular players, Kelsey, you know, you know, other players. So it's like, it's hard for me. I'm rooting for him because he's a black coach, and I love to see black coaches win. Also, he's a running back coach. Running back coaches don't never get a chance to be True. office coordinators. The yeah. last one was, like, Anthony Lynn. So I want that to, 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 to do well for him. But if I have to do my job, to be honest, my thing is just where is the true value at? Is it then, is it have anything to do with him being black in your opinion? Obviously, uh, you ain't Roger Goodell. You don't know. You know what? Absolutely not. But people want to win. The color thing, I, I get it. It, we, it should be more black cultures. I definitely believe that. But if you come up for the Chiefs, they want to win. It has nothing to do with the, with the color barrier at all. There was LaShawn McCoy, I think it was earlier this morning, just giving his thoughts on Eric Bieniemy getting that job with the Washington Commanders and maybe his success level or his projected success level with a much lesser team. And that goes without saying here. Washington is far inferior to the Kansas City Chiefs, talent-wise, quarterback-wise, structure-wise, the whole nine yards. It is going to be light years difference, night and day, day difference from Kansas City to Washington. I thought it was interesting insight, though. I'm not going to sit here and bash LaShawn McCoy because LaShawn McCoy gave an opinion. And he's entitled to his opinion. And it's an educated opinion. He has been in a locker room with Eric Bieniemy. Now, here's the thing. Not every player has the same impressions of Eric Bieniemy. Maybe LaShawn McCoy came into Kansas City and said, hey, I'm going to be the number one running back. And when he didn't get that, he just thought, well, I'm just not going to like anybody that prevented me from getting that top spot on the depth chart. But LaShawn McCoy, I thought, had a couple of reasons as to why it's not going to work in Washington. He plainly said, it's not Eric Bieniemy drawing up those plays, being in those meetings, being vocal. He said he'd speak up a couple of times with the running backs and some of the players because that was his role. But as for the scheming, as for the play calling, as for the total success of the offense, that was all Andy Reid. Take it a little bit, too, with a grain of salt, because Andy Reid was with Shady McCoy in Philly. So he's already got that connection. He's got that support where the relationship with Bienemy was one year long. So if Bienemy was a guy that didn't treat him like a favorite like maybe Andy Reid did, he's not going to like him as much. But what LaShawn McCoy is saying is also what Eric Bienemy's critics are saying and what a lot of critics have said about Eric Bienemy in his time with Kansas City, that he's not getting a job as a head coach because it's Andy Reid doing all the work. And here's the thing. We can give our opinions. Other media talking heads can give their opinions. Other coaches, GMs, scouts can give their opinions. The only people that are in the locker room are the players of the Kansas City Chiefs and the coaches of the Kansas City Chiefs. And we've heard conflicting reports as to how involved Eric Bieniemy is. But I think here in Kansas City, everybody's fully aware that whether it is Andy Reid or Eric Bieniemy calling all the shots... Their cohesiveness together resulted in a lot of touchdowns, a lot of points for the Chiefs. Nobody can deny that. So if you have a good pairing with a head coach and an OC, that's going to work out time and time and again. It doesn't matter if the head coach is the one doing the majority of the work or it's the OC doing the majority of the work. You see coaches fail all the time, and you know what the best thing about this? We are going to see 
just how good Eric Bieniemy is as a play caller, as an assistant head coach, and whether Washington can make a serious improvement from last year to next year. I think it was a great hire by Washington. Bieniemy kind of fell into their his laps or their laps, but this is Eric Bieniemy's chance to maybe prove guys like LaShawn McCoy wrong because LaShawn McCoy is going to sit there and say, "Hey, he's not in Kansas City anymore. He's going to be exposed in Washington." Also at the same time, you have the factor that it takes a little bit of time to build an offense. I mean, Eric Bieniemy is going from Patrick Mahomes to Sam Howell. He's going from Travis Kelsey being the number one weapon to Terry McLaurin being the number one weapon. It's a lot different in Washington. So, no, a bad year one in Washington should not completely solve our our question here. Should not answer the question of if Eric Bieniemy is a good play caller. If they're worst in the league then yeah, I think you have some reasons to criticize. But I think after maybe two or three years, we'll have our definitive answer. But LaShawn McCoy clearly thinks it's not going to work out in Washington because Andy Reid was always the guy calling the shots. He was the one drawing up the plays. He was the one making it easy execution for guys like Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Juju Smith-Schuster, MVS Skymore, McCole Hardman. Isaiah Pacheco, Jared McKinnon, all those guys. That was all Reed, not so much the enemy, per LaShawn McCoy, who did play for the Chiefs for one year. He has some validity there. Is he just an angry ex-player, or is he a guy that saw some stuff and said, hey, I'm okay with exposing a little bit of the truth? We won't know, because guess what? We weren't in the locker room with LaShawn McCoy, or know about that relationship between the and LaShawn McCoy. But time will tell. And time will tell here in about five to six months. When we come back here on the Shane Dennis Show, we will sit down with Jordan Foote, deputy editor of Arrowhead Report, talking all things KC. We'll get his thoughts on Eric Bieniemy going to Washington. We'll also have a little bit of spring training talk, talking Royals as they once again are ramping up some of those workouts down there in surprise. Also, some injury news on the Royals front as Drew Waters is going to be sidelined for six weeks with an oblique injury. We'll get some position battle ideas, too, from Jordan. So that'll be next on the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. Wichita's new sports leader, ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM, KKGQ, Newton.